Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive in. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest yourself today. We are going to have a conversation that... I've been looking forward to for more than a minute here. And this is about the democratization of artificial intelligence or AI. And I think this is a valuable topic because it helps businesses become more competitive in a data-driven world. And I believe that in some ways, artificial intelligence is the next frontier. In other ways, I think they're really screwing it up. And I'm going to have our guests tell me if I'm off base or I'm out to lunch on some of my thoughts on that or maybe what I'm missing. So I'm looking forward to getting his feedback on that. We have had one major shift, and I covered this in my chapter that I contributed to Journeys to Success in Millennial Edition. With the proliferation of social media, new media, instant media, and instant media technologies, we have seen a democratization of information dissemination, which I believe is a beautiful thing in the sense that it allows voices to be heard and creates a powerful counterweight to the power of corporate media to tell us what allegedly happened. On the other hand, it's also messy because anybody with a voice and the ability to hit record can put out basically whatever they want to say. So it's sort of the wild, wild west of news at this time, but I think it's a beautiful thing as we continue to work it out. And I think it's also helped people become more sophisticated in how they consume and rate their information, which makes more for a more educated society overall. As they say, sometimes to make an omelet, you gotta break an egg or to clean house, you gotta take out the trash or whatever metaphor or cliche you wanna use. Artificial intelligence, I think is the next one. And to help us navigate these exciting virtual waters. We have Jerry Abiog, who if I pronounce his name incorrectly, is gonna correct me in one second. But let me just tell you a little bit about him first. He's the co-founder and CMO of Standard Insights. Is an artificial intelligence as a service growth marketing platform that enables businesses to execute data-driven omni-channel campaigns. Wow. Monetize their data to find lookalike customers on Facebook and a bunch of other things. This helps them target the right person with the right product and service at the right time. We empower businesses to become more competitive in a data-driven world with marketing precision. And I believe that Jerry's gonna tell us a little bit about his results as we go through our conversation today. At this point, Jerry, come on in. The weather's fine and tell me if I got your name right. Hey, Adam, that was wonderful. Honored to be here. And yes, indeed, you did get my, my name right. So Yeah, normally in the green room, I <laughs> confirm that. But the issue is I am just so on the edge of my seat. I'm so geeking out over this. I forgot my own damn checklist as a host and failed oh. to confirm that small point. Arr! Man, then we got, <laughs> you know, 
can be exciting conversation. Yes, exactly. So what we'd like to do here, I imagine at this point, we have some people leaning in. They have a separate browser tab open, and they're being the Yahoo out of the Googles, looking to discover more about this Jerry Abiog guy, and that's spelled A-B-I-O-G, folks. You're welcome. And looking at his website, standardinsights.io. With all that, what we'd like to do here before we get into this, what I promise to be a very exciting conversation about the democratization of artificial intelligence, is take a quick step back and discover more about Jerry the man. So tell us, Jerry, a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Hey, thanks, Adam. Appreciate the uh, intro. So a little bit about myself. Got roughly 25 years in all facets of sales and marketing. And roughly nine years ago was my last corporate job. And you can check this on my LinkedIn profile. So nine years ago, I made the leap, started my own thing. And what I did at that time was start a business where I was helping small software companies with sales and marketing initiatives. And that went well. I had some clients that had a successful exit. But as they say in life, you learn from failure. And one of the, I guess, biggest lessons or biggest clients that I had that didn't go anywhere was my, you know, where I learned the most. And about four years ago, I was working with a client. They engaged me to help them grow. And it was a startup uh, AI and machine learning. It was my, my first dive introduction to that world and at that time ai machine learning was more of a nascent stage than it is right now and i learned a couple things during my time with that client number one there was something bubbling beneath the surface with regards to ai business applications uh, that you know wasn't known to most people at the time and just a little side note in roughly four or five years, AI is projected to be a $300 billion industry. So that was number one, one thing I learned. And number two, regardless of the technology you have, you could have the greatest software platform in, on the planet. But if it doesn't, it's not simple or easy to use, and uh, it doesn't solve you know, your customer's problem, then it's, it's pointless. Your software will be, become worthless because if yeah. no one buys, it's not worth anything. Right, right, right. And we're going to get into a couple cases where I think that some of our artificial intelligence technologies are missing the boat. And as I said in the introduction, I, I, if, if I'm missing something here, I want you to point out what I'm missing because I would love to get the answers to these inquiries that I've had for quite some time. So appreciate you sharing a bit about your journey. I think that's fantastic. And what I'd like to do is, first of all, let's define our terms. Because just like social media and things like that, the phrase artificial intelligence is something that I believe a lot of people like to throw out there. And maybe they have different views of what that actually means. So you as a subject matter expert, give us your definition. What is artificial intelligence? Yeah, on a real high level, Cliff Notes level, artificial intelligence means getting a computer to think and act like a human being. And we're already seeing it in our everyday lives. Uh, top two examples is Amazon with their product you know, recommendations. Hey, 
what is Jerry predicted by, what is Adam predicted to buy, and then the next uh, next one that's popular one is with Netflix, where you're being presented movie options based on what you're predicted to watch. And that's probably the simplest explanation that I can give. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a way of looking at it. I would say if we're going down that vein, would we consider things like retargeting ads a form of artificial intelligence as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, seems, go yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, uh, I, I visit somebody's website or web page, and next thing you know, not only are ads for that website showing up on my search engine pages, but they're also finding their way to my social media. And I found that if I look at one type of a certain type of web page, next thing you know, I'm getting ads from their competitors too. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's one form of facet where, you know, artificial intelligence is being used with regards to, you know, remarketing and ad retargeting. If that business can, can get it right and retarget Adam with the, you know, stuff that he likes, then yeah, and you, you convert, then that's the win, a win for both you guys, a win for the business um, and a win for you. Yeah, I think this is, I think this is often, I mean, awesome rather. And one of the things I like to point out about retargeting advertising is I believe that some people miss opportunities with it. Let me give you an example. How many times have I visited a hotel's website to book a room at that hotel? And right after I confirm my reservation, I immediately start getting ads saying, hey, come book a room at our hotel. But you Maybe, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. So the retargeting is there. I get that point, but what I think is missed is the opportunity to leverage artificial intelligence. And I point this particular thing out because it's like clockwork. It happens just about every time I book a room somewhere. I immediately get besieged with ads to book a room at that same hotel. I would be thinking that they would send a different type of ad if they wanted to retarget me because I don't think retargeting is a bad idea. Yeah, so here's one example. Um, you know, my, you know, I looked at your profile before we, we we sat down to this conversation. You went to Penn State, right? Now yes, you're living in Las Vegas. So you're in Las Vegas. You order, a, let's say, a football jersey from Penn State. Like, cool. You, you're in Vegas, but then all of a sudden, this company, just because you live in Las Vegas, is sending you athletic gear for local college. I don't know. You want you want LV? It's like, well. Uh, yeah, I'm not a UNLV fan. Just because I live in Las Vegas doesn't mean I'm a fan. So yeah, that's where artificial intelligence and remarketing and retargeting, if that you know, company is using some so form of artificial intelligence and takes a deep dive into your profile that you, know, you went to Penn State, you lived in that area for a long time, and just because you live in Las Vegas does not mean you necessarily like those Las Vegas teams. So that company should not be showing you jerseys for Las Vegas teams. They should be showing you jerseys or, or athletic gear of Penn State. So that's a, you know, another way that some companies are winning and others are losing with not uh, you know, showing or executing on proper retargeting protocols. Interesting that you say that. And I believe that to an extent, there's only so much we can possibly know about the audience. There does have to be a line where 
we have to say the only way we can know for sure is if we come to the person's house and inquire of them directly. And believe me, nobody's coming to my house. <laughs> so they, always... they, they, they won't make it to the threshold, believe me, yeah. as they're ex expected. Uh, that, you know, so with all that, they can't know for sure that I would appreciate this or that type of advertising, but they are taking the steps to gather the intelligence to create a reasonable likelihood based on statistical data and trends. Yeah, that's what, you know, reasonable likelihood. And there's always that balance that uh, these uh, businesses have to take, right? It's just, it's a fine line between overstepping the boundaries, right? But you got to find a, that fine line that will drive the proper retargeting ads that will get Adam to buy over and over again from this company. Yeah, precisely, precisely. And uh, I can understand how people can get a little bit annoyed by these ads every once in a while, but at the same time, they, there's a power that they can recognize within that as well, that by looking at who is targeting them and what they're targeting them with, that may give them an opportunity to take another look at what they themselves are projecting out there to make sure that their messaging is on point. Oh, exactly. I mean, the, the power of AI and what it could be used for is unlimited. You know, messaging, how the product looks, what product is being displayed. I mean, it's endless what AI can do. Yeah. So while we're defining our terms, Jerry, uh, we also hear a lot these days, and this is one of those buzzwords, data-driven marketing. In fact, I can't remember, but I might have even used a phrase like that about 30 seconds ago. So in your, <laughs> in your definition, pertinent to this conversation, based on your work, how do you define the term data-driven marketing? Yeah, it's prioritizing and executing campaigns based on what the data says. And that data can say, you know, you're, a, you know, you're selling sunglasses online, you've got 2000 customers, you're selling 100 different products. That data can say, number one, what is the profitability score of each of those customers? Now you can also look at the data in terms of demographics, geographic, psychographic and or behavior data. So when you have a proper understanding of those types of data and then executing campaigns around that or based, based on the, the data that you've collected, then the likelihood of conversion goes up tremendously versus someone just doing it on their best guess. Yeah. And I, and I, think, that's, I think that's a very good way of looking at it. I promise our listeners that we are not going to turn this into a, a segue to essentially make this an episode about social media advertising. But there are a couple things that you've written recently, Jerry, that I want to highlight because I think you break some interesting points in these. And then we're going to get on to a few other areas of artificial intelligence that are interesting to me. Uh, some of the places where I think we're falling short, and maybe you'll be able to either broaden my horizons or show me what I myself am missing. But first, let's uh, look at two papers you've written, one of which is called AI-Driven Doppelganger Marketing, The Next Wave for Facebook. So what do you mean by that? And what is this next wave that we're looking forward to since we are kind of on that subject still? So yeah, with, with doppelganger marketing, what that means, if you Google that definition, is something that looks like something without being a twin. And so what AI-driven doppelganger marketing means is 
finding, you know, via data, your exact lookalike customer. So Facebook, if you launch an ad on Facebook today, they will allow you to create your lookalike or customized audience. But what we chatted about a few minutes ago, but is that based on science and facts or is that based on, on your best guess? Because if I give you um, an example, Adam, if I give you a list of 2,000 customers with, that sell sunglasses with 100 different products, or I give you a list of 200,000 customers that sell shoes online, are you able to tell me with each example, you know, the, the profitability scoring of each of those customers and or the top selling products in each city or state? Interesting. Yeah. Now, another thing you wrote, another article is called Facebook's Broken Process and the Disconnect Between Social Media Marketing and Analytics. Yeah. So take it away on that one. And I'm, I'm so excited to get beyond. Yeah. That. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Facebook is the main platform that businesses are advertising nowadays. So we all know that almost 70% of adults in America are on Facebook and a good bit of them, I think, uh, studies showed that over 50% of those consumers are heavily influenced by Facebook when making purchases. And I think in 2018, fourth quarter, they earned over $16 billion in revenue. But at the end of the day, Facebook does not care if Adam's ads perform well. They just want your money. And, yeah. you know, a couple things. Facebook ads, they're going up. Price, ad prices are going up. Number two, they're also pulling back on those third-party cookies that are following you around. You know, a lot of this stems from the election four years ago here, you know, stateside. And if you got any UK listeners, what happened with Cambridge Analytica with all that. So Facebook is taking steps to prevent, you know, the business owner from using this data to their advantage. So what does that mean? Now, the business owner who's launching ads, whether you're a small business or a big business, is kind of left powerless. So that's the broken you know, process right there. Facebook is raising their prices and taking away your ability to better you know, promote and target your ads. So what does that mean? Well, you as a business owner need to take ownership of your, of your customers and really know what is going to make them tick. For example, with that sunglass company, um, if they're selling running sunglasses, but they're not being sold running, no one's ever bought running sunglasses in the Las Vegas area, right? Then why are you going to advertise running sunglasses in Las Vegas? So that's where the AI comes in. It's able to pinpoint what's predicted to sell in each city or state or whatever data you have. And then that business owner can prioritize and execute campaigns around that, that, will more than likely drive results in sales. That's very interesting. And you bring up something that I wasn't even thinking about up until now, but I've dealt with previously. Many folks who have attempted to use the Facebook advertising platform have found some weird experiences working with that platform. For example, submitting ads and then their ads getting disapproved. And let me give you a couple examples of scenarios that have actually happened to either me or colleagues of mine. In one case, uh, somebody submitted 
an ad to promote a, a landing page for a webinar or something along those mm -hmm. lines. And they submitted it without having the link to the privacy policy underneath the opt-in box or whatever the standard was at the time. Okay, so fair enough, fair enough. Uh, they made the edit to the page, resubmitted it, and then got back a response. Your ad has been disapproved because the privacy policy link is missing. So they mm -hmm. said, I added the link and submitted it again. And they said, we have twice, and then they got a response saying that the ad was declined with a note that said, we have twice given you clear instructions that you need to have a privacy policy link, comply with our policies if you want to place this ad. And then they submitted it again, and then they got a response that said, this ad has been disapproved and any attempts to promote this page have now been disapproved due to your failure to add a privacy policy link to your opt-in box after you were requested to do so several times. Now, let me tell you what had happened to me. I attempted yeah. to do the same thing. And this was uh, for a teleseminar back when we did a lot of teleseminars. Uh, the topic was how to get sponsors to pay you for product placements and for attending conferences. Right. So I submitted the advertisements for that. And my story was very similar. I got the ad declined because they said I was promoting the sale of tobacco products. Yeah. So I submitted the ad again. They said, your ad is multi-level marketing. We are not approving this ad. And uh, so for fun, I went and found uh, a number of, I, a number of, approved Facebook ads that were showing up in my Facebook newsfeed that were obviously for multi-level marketing opportunities. And mm -hmm. I responded and I said, this is a teleseminar about getting corporate sponsors to pay you for product placements in your marketing. These are advertisements for multi-level marketing programs. Notice the big difference. Oh, and by the way, you approved all these ads. And then, yeah. they, and then uh, I got a response that said, do not question our policies, and if you wish to use our platform, comply. Yeah. I was told, and I've been told when I've shared these same two stories on other episodes of Business Creators Radio Show, and you may notice I'm getting a little amped up here because this is where I think part of the frustration of artificial intelligence comes in. I've been told by several people who specialize in running Facebook ad campaigns that usually the reviewers are artificial intelligence bots responding based on keywords. Yeah. Which would make sense due to the ludicrous absurdity of the responses they were giving. So what the heck is going on there and what do we do about it? Yeah. I mean, not all AI is perfect. I mean, you've, we're seeing that, in, you know, in Facebook, you're sometimes seeing it in Amazon, you're seeing it in Google and yeah, AI, does make mistakes. So, you know, with that, the ownership now falls onto the, into the business owner to, you know, get the right parameters and right messaging. And yeah, you're right. For whatever reason, I think, uh, you know, right now, given what's going on, I don't know when this, the show's going to get, you know, put out, but yeah, Facebook, they're, yeah, they're banning ads on certain things like hand sanitizer. So yeah, that happens from time to time, without a doubt, that yeah, AI or Facebook's AI algorithm just out of the blue will ban certain ads for no rhyme or reason. Maybe yeah. you, you know, sometimes you try next week. Okay, hey, everything's fine. But yeah, they do that. There's no secret that uh, you know Facebook 
part of the broken process. But yeah, they do that. Yeah, uh, what can be what can be done about this? Because I have other examples of my own attempts to communicate with organizations that respond using artificial intelligence and being ready to and being ready to throw my computer at them. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. and, and the funny thing is, even though I knew I was dealing with a bot or an AI-driven machine, I was still ready to punch it in the face. Yeah, and le they're learning from that. Oh, hey, this guy's getting amped up. Let's send him more messages to you know, get them even amped up again, because this is the pattern that we're, that we're seeing. So yeah, you know, unfortunately that is with Facebook and their AI algorithms. And sometimes you're just powerless to do anything about that. Yeah, I guess, so. I guess they're the so. big billion dollar conglomerate and they're just, yeah. Money making machine. I, I, I can, I can certainly understand that uh, when companies get to a certain size, they just view certain things as runoff or seepage. And when yeah. you get to a certain point, and I even do, I even share this in the coaching consulting I work, work I do with entrepreneurial organizations. When I'm helping them to give effective answers to the question, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? Yeah. Let's look at traditional marketing, like they say, for example, email marketing. A lot yeah. of us have email lists and we communicate with our lists regularly. Yep. Do you, do you have a list and do you have opt-in subscribers? Do you communicate with them? Yes, Okay. Have you, have you ever sent out an email or somebody working for you sent out an email on your behalf without a broken link? Yeah, it happens from time to time, sure. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What'd you do about it? Just resend it again or fix the email. Yeah. Resend it again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there. To me, I think there are three. There are three responses to it that I've seen, uh, and I'm going to put. I'm going to bookend what I believe to be the rational response between the two extreme responses. So you gave what I believe to be the rational response, which is just send a correction or an update, and it happens yeah. every once in a while. Um, on the one hand, at one extreme, and this is uh, this is actually a colleague of mine, and I can't really disagree with this. Uh, his philosophy is, is, yeah, I know once or twice a year, I'm going to send an email to my subscribers and just have a broken link. And if I do, too bad. Somebody writes me asking for the correct link, I'll send it to them individually. But other than that, oh, well. So that's one approach, which is to yeah. say, well, crap happens. And if it does, it does. I'm not going to do anything about it at all. The rational approach, uh, or, and, and I don't think that that first approach is irrational at all, uh, because there, I can see something about that where... One could even say, oh, this guy's being clever. He's going to use it to, uh, he's going to use it to spark conversations with individuals. Okay, I'll play along. And maybe he gets business out of that. So that might not be a bad thing. And again, everybody's human. Yeah. In the middle, we have, you send an oopsie email or you uh, do something to correct it as quickly as possible. So if you have to send an email to correct it because you can't just fix the link on your end, then you do so. But if you can do something where you just change the URL on your end or create a redirect to what it's supposed to be, like if you didn't misspell the main part of the URL, uh, then you just change it and don't, don't say anything at all. Either way, it's fixed. Uh, the third response I've seen is, oh, my God, 
Our entire reputation is ruined, and our whole audience is laughing at us. We look like assholes, idiots, and fools. All our customers <laughs> are going are gonna to leave. They're all talking about us right now and how stupid we are. Our reputation is ruined. We need to have meetings, and we need to and put, put processes and quality control in place. We cannot have this happen again. And I need reports from every single person involved in this, exactly what your role is and where you feel the process failed and your commitment to responsibility and how you're going to take extra steps to make sure we never have a broken link again. And you know what happens when you take that approach? You kill your marketing. Yep. Absolutely. Because, because pretty much everywhere along that chain, people are going to say, you know what? We're not even going to do email marketing because now we have all these hoops we have to jump through. And what yeah. that gets me to is when I ha coach people to ask the question, do we really need to do this at all? Is because many rules and regulations within organizations are permanent overreaching overreactions to minor blips on the radar screen. Yep. And when I look at that, when I look at that, and sometimes we look at the history of where rules and regulations come from, people don't even remember because the institutional legacy is not there or somebody blew it out of proportion and made it so traumatic people blocked it out of their minds right yeah so with all that with all that uh i bring this up simply because i want to highlight the point that some companies will say well you know what if our bots piss off a couple people it's just something we have to deal with yeah We'll, we'll find another customer, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, un it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Um, uh, I mean, just saying, oh, well, I sent a broken link. I mean, that's, that's not negative. That's not right. uh, aggressive anyway. That's just saying, oh, I made a mistake. And if somebody, and if somebody wants a correction, I'll send it to them individually. I'm not going to spend time on another email. I'm not going to take up any more bandwidth. Okay. But yeah, then you find out, let me, because uh, here's an example. Um, I was trying to get tech support from one of those companies, I'm not going to mention a name, that people use as interfaces to manage bot messaging through Facebook Messenger. Right. I'm trying to get support because their own technical documentation on a particular integration I was trying to complete did not even match their interface and it did not fulfill its promises and I was able to document that right. through videos. Their their ticket tech support, like the people who responded to their tickets, kept right. insisting all was well and giving me instructions to do the very same thing that I had filmed a video of myself doing to demonstrate that it didn't work. So yeah. I was dealing with a human being that was off the wall. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try, I'm going to go to their Facebook page. I'm going to engage with their messenger bot. Maybe there's an option in there somewhere where I can escalate this issue because I'm getting nowhere. Mm -hmm. And all this bot would do was keep trying to get me to buy a ticket to their conference. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> you, see, you, see, you see what I mean? This is another yeah. one of those examples of we can improve this. And I believe that when we're using artificial intelligence to run our customer service, that is an awesome way to triage customer service issues. At right. the same time, I believe that we're missing something on the back end. My thought is there has to be some sort of fail safe that enables people to escalate an issue and at least know that the issue has been escalated and there's a reasonable time frame for them to get a resolution. Yeah, set of different I mean, tiers. Right, set of different right. tiers. So the AI stuff can take care of the more simple tiers. 
yeah. right? Tier five, tier four. But once it escalates to three, two, and one, hey, maybe we transfer this to a human. Is my yeah, my thought, right? It's for the yeah, right, right. I, I mean, I, I, I could see, I could see something along those lines. And the very simple form, uh, I don't even know if I'd call this artificial intelligence. I'm a big fan and proponent of schedulers to schedule phone calls with people. In fact, I mm -hmm. devote an entire section of my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, to why schedulers are the future and why gatekeepers are a thing of the past and why schedulers, like automatic schedulers, where you click a link and book yourself into somebody's calendar, actually right. facilitate human connections. So my thought is, Depending on the circumstance, because this may not be applicable everywhere, if we could work into our artificial intelligence tree and we design our we design our, our bot conditional logic, that at some point, if somebody says the key words, it allows them to book a conversation with a live person. Right. So now, you and you can also apply that not only to triage-type customer service, but you could also apply that to uh, marketing, prospecting, and appointment setting. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, it's always going to be about the person behind, you know, writing the algorithm on those thought logic processes. Yeah. And yeah. Precisely. So yeah. what I'd like to do now is go to another area of artificial intelligence. And we're seeing a good bit of this. I, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm involved on the advisory team uh, for a company called ZoomScribe, which is a transcription company. It's the one I yeah. typically recommend. And this is a transcription company where uh, native English speakers will turn around your transcript, and they usually do so, usually, depending on the size of the order and backlog and things like that, within 24 hours. I tend to get pretty good turnaround times, and most of the people I refer to them get very good turnaround times as well. Uh, actually, that's very good for the industry when you think about it, when you compare. Now, their biggest competitor that they've identified are artificial intelligence-type transcripts. So you know what? I thought for the hell of it, I'm going to run one of my transcripts through one of their, these artificial intelligence things. How'd that work out? <laughs> Were you, were you asking facetiously? From your response, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I wasn't even sure I was getting back English. And I, ah. I was like, wait, what did I say? Right. Why, 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 why did I just pay the $10 for this? For yeah. what? Uh, it, came, it came back as this blob of, of discombobulated words, like somebody dropped uh, a bunch of random phrases into one of those old article spinners Right. And that didn't even have didn't even have a foundation for spinning content into unique variations. It's like this is no transcript. I can't I can't even farm this for quotes. <laughs> so I recognize, and this is the same with human transcription, which yeah. is why I brought up the transcription. With human transcription, if you want to get a really good transcript turned around to you quickly from a company that will have human beings do the transcripts then mm -hmm. it's important for you to do certain things in the way you conduct the interview. One of which is to make sure that your sound is of good quality because they actually have their own machines 
that will use a form of artificial intelligence to create a draft. And then their work is actually to listen to the transcript and then go through and make edits as they're listening. That's why they say it can take two to three hours to transcribe one hour of content, which is why if you're getting a, a human done transcript done for a buck a minute, you're actually getting a really good deal because yeah. that does take a lot of time. So, so they're not using a hybrid of human and exactly. AI. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I wanted to point that out. First off, even when you're using a human transcriber, if they're a proper transcription company with professional equipment, they're using artificial intelligence. Oh, and that's not new. They were doing that 30 years ago. Right. Yeah, so, and, and, you, and you knew that as well. So another thing that they advise is speak slowly, not artificially slowly to make sure that every syllable is absolutely properly pronounced. But don't go like this where you go to a million miles a minute. Right. So in other words, moderate it so that their artificial intelligence can pick it up and then their human editor can follow it without having to re-listen to it 12 times. And the third item, and the third item is, is if you have multiple people on the transcript, even if you guys don't have a tendency to finish each other's sentences or complete each other's thoughts or get so excited that you talk over each other, which can happen sometimes, be very careful not to do that while you're creating transcribable material. So these are common sense things that human beings can do to facilitate a transcript. As far as getting a quality artificial intelligence transcript, is there anything else we can do? Because I think in this point, the human does have some responsibility to the process. Yeah, so it's always a checking and rechecking process. It's always learning and you're always working to improve you know the algorithm day in and day out and it's always getting like we talked about in this example to have both the ai and and human aspect to it you just don't want you don't never want to leave it just to ai or just to human you know humans right you want right. both working together to help drive and improve the process and we're doing something today hey let's improve it on monday so let's improve it on tuesday and so forth so it's always a constantly evolving process and it never ends. Do you believe that we're ever going to get to a point where humans cannot be involved or don't need to be involved at all? Because I'm not seeing it. No. No, there's always has to be human, you know, involved. Um, and if someone tells you otherwise, I'd probably run the other way as quick as I can. Right. That, and, I'm, and, I'm glad, and I'm glad you recognize that. I've worked with uh, companies and organizations to help them with automation uh, of processes. And some of the pushback that we've seen is people who say, I thought I was automating this. Why do I still have to have people involved? Yeah. Thereby, to me, missing the point of automation, which is to remove a lot of things where you actually don't need people. Uh, like for example, uh, let's say you and I were gonna you know, get together. Have, let's let me let me create a scenario. Jerry, you reach out to me maybe a month from now, and you say, you say, you know, I really enjoyed being on the Business Creators Radio Show. Thanks again, and I have this idea I want to run by you based on our conversation that I think you might find interesting. Is there any is there any way that uh, we could hop on the phone for ten minutes? My response yeah. is going to be. Absolutely. Glad to hear from you. Go to schedulewithadam.com and book yourself in. So right. that's me giving you my scheduler where you'll find your way 
onto it. So yeah, the human being, me being me, was necessary to trigger the process. But where we do have automation is you don't have to go through a human gatekeeper. You don't have to depend on my schedule or your schedule changing as we go back and forth with 20 emails and possibly right. even phone calls just to schedule a conversation. And, and this is where automation can be really powerful, is if you are the person who's looking to connect with people, how do I put this? And I, this, this is human nature, and I, I believe in dealing with things as they actually are. Let's say that your human gatekeeper has some sort of unannounced agenda or some baggage they haven't checked in with you. Mm -hmm. They have an issue with that person who's trying to connect with you. Right. And so in a very subtle way where they don't technically actually do anything wrong, they make damn sure that call never gets scheduled. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Been there. Yeah. Exactly. So with, with, by inserting automation, you bypass the possibility of that even happening. And at the same time, you remove that human gatekeeper from having to grit their teeth dealing with somebody they can't stand. So it's a win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So like one example to your point with automation, like the sunglass company. So when we're working with this client and they're not the big sunglass companies like uh, Oakley and, and Ray-Ban. So before we brought them on, I asked them like, hey, what is the average life cycle of a pair of sunglasses? They go, six months it gets scratched gets stolen uh, you know stepped on so what we set up for them if adam buys a pair of sunglasses today in six months they get an automated email saying hey adam hope you're enjoying your pair of sunglasses in case you lost your sunglasses got scratched got stolen what have you here are other sunglass recommendations so right there it's like hey in six months because that's what the average pair of sunglasses last this customer Adam is getting an automated email and whether you've lost your, Oh yeah, you know what? I did lose my sunglasses the other day, <laughs> time to reorder, but, but using automation in a smart way to stay in front of your customers and using it in a smart way, not in a pestery sort of way will do justice for that business and for the customers to, to buy more. And that's you how you can up, use it to your advantage. Yeah. You bring up an incredible point and this is so, so, so much, not even the low-hanging fruit, but the perfectly ripe orange that just fell off the tree mm. and just waiting for you to pick it up and peel it. Yeah. Oh, and by, and, by, and by the way, have you ever had the experience of consuming an orange that was freshly picked off a tree? It's awesome. It is nothing like the oranges you buy in the store. They may yeah. look similar, but the, even, even compared to organic oranges, it's something completely different. I was visiting some friends of mine in California who happened to have an orange tree in their backyard, and I made sure to take a bag of oranges home with me. I, I remembered all the times that I generously declined all the things they did for me because I, they offered to do for me so that I could bank all of those rain checks and all of those chits to get a bag of oranges. And I actually got through them all before they went bad. <laughs> it's different. So Good oranges. Exa exactly. So I don't know where the hell I was just going with oranges. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not only not only the low hanging fruit, but that freshly that fresh orange that just fell off the tree in your backyard, off your orange tree. So this is how low hanging fruit this is. When and we it's think the yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, finish your thought, Jerry. Yeah, it's the the low hanging fruit that most business are, are, are missing out on. They're looking yeah. for the bright, new, shiny object that costs more to get 
Uh-huh. Right. Hey, let's spend a lot of money on on ads and which they have their place. Every business wants new customers, but the low-hanging fruit is where a lot of businesses are missing out on. And with AI, it can help them get that low-hanging fruit. I'm going to say in one sentence, where I was going with this is when people look at their email marketing systems and they have their funnels, their sequences, their automations, and their conditional logic, that is artificial intelligence most of us deal with every day, and it's not a robot, so to speak. It's not a bot, yeah. per se. So now I'm going to follow your segue because I think it's actually even more valuable. Think of those folks who will invest in every technology that comes out. They will, without even thinking about it, whip out their American Express black card and buy the premium version of every software that is sold at that conference. And then they're going to attempt to find a way to pay a human being as little as possible to actually make it work for them. For example, we saw a lot of this. Uh, I And this is part of the reason that I myself, candidly, did not get involved, involved in the game becoming an Infusionsoft expert, or as they call it now, Keep, is when Infusionsoft was first coming out and, and they were pursuing a very smart strategy of going to every single conference, buying exhibitor tables, getting their speakers on stage, and establishing their market dominance. They were very brilliant about this. You would see people who would, without even blinking, plunk down the $5,000 setup fee and commit to $500 a month or this huge CRM slash marketing slash e-commerce thing that they would probably never use one-tenth of. Yep. No problem with spending that money. But then they would be looking to see, who can I hire for $7 an hour to set this up for me? Yeah. That's the, I think that's part of the problem we see with artificial intelligence. The machine is there, but just like any vehicle, if you don't have a skilled mechanic to keep the engine running optimally, it will break down. And, and yeah, going back to, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Going back to the first point, what I learned where I, I failed in the last company I, I work with, w with our platform, we make it easy to use where it's literally once it's all set up, it's plug and play. So you pull all the data, the data tells you, you know, with data driven marketing, what are the top selling products, what Adam is predicted to buy. And within a few clicks of your mouse, you can execute campaigns, whether that's text, whether that's email, or whether that's social media. So we make it as simple as possible to execute data-driven campaigns. Well, that's awesome. Now, uh, back in the green room, and we have about 10 minutes left here, so uh, we're, I'm actually pretty much done with what I had to say, but I remember uh, back in the green room, you know, virtually speaking, because we were doing this remotely, but it you did the virtual version of leaping up on the table and banging your chest Tarzan style as you were sharing with us that some of your results include getting five to 20% improvement in sales, 10 to 25% increase in average order value and 10 to 15% reduction in customer churn. So in other, in other words, upselling, cross-selling, reselling and lifetime value of customer, all those things we say we want. Yeah, so, How does artificial intelligence make this happen? Now let's talk money. Yeah, so this, uh, we're talking, uh, you know, on, on a Friday, I don't know what date it is, but yesterday we ran a campaign for one of our clients. They're making masks. Why are they making masks? Because it's what everyone needs with what's going on today. So we yeah. ran an email campaign. We let off with masks. And mind you, these are $20 masks two masks for $20 washable masks. 
So we ran a campaign. So where the top part is, hey, uh, protect yourself, protect your face, protect from getting sick, $20 mask. And below that, we here are other products that you may like. And with those products that you may, you may like, we hyper-personalized what that person was likely to buy based on their city and state. So Adam, you're in Las Vegas, Nevada. Jerry is in Atlanta, Georgia. So we're actually, our state buys different things based on the data from the, the, the customer, our client's customer's database. So with that, I mean, I looked this morning, so we ran the campaign last night or yesterday afternoon. $20 master average order value was like close to 70 or $80. Yeah. Some people bought the $20 mass and they paid the $7 shipping. But when you're putting something in front of someone that, Oh, Hey, um, Oh, Hey, I could use this other product that uh, besides the mask, it's that slide of mine, right? It's the low hanging fruit. Uh -huh. These are your, these are your current customers. We're selling a mask. So we let off with the masks and then on the middle part of the email, we presented them products that they were predicted to buy. Uh -huh. So that drove the average order value way up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and especially when you're dealing with something and you're able to use your artificial intelligence to adjust with the times, your artificial intelligence, when optimized, I believe, could say, all right, so the hot thing right now, if we're looking to sell something, is the mask. Now, yeah. based on our legacy of data, and based on current buying trends, what do we also have in the cache that we could pair with the mask? Just like with Amazon, exactly. it gives reader exactly. recommendations. Yeah, so and, yeah. And mind you, Amazon does that, but that's Amazon. This is a small business. They're, uh, they're probably at $5 million you know, oh. revenue. So now you're giving AI to the small business. Now they're able to have or present to their customers Amazon-like recommendations. That's great. And this is from a $20 mask. Yeah. The average order value is 60, 70 bucks. That's not a bad return on investment. That's no, a, that, that, not that, at all. And, to me, and, uh, and, and if you look at the statistics on, on pre-sale and post-sale upsells, that's, yeah. that's mind-blowing by the percentages. And then, so what we're doing, so they bought today or yesterday, right? In seven days, once they get the mask, we're we'll sending them an automated email. This is where automation helps. We're not putting this, the, their, their admin out of a job. Thanks, Adam, for your purchase. Hope you're staying safe. Here are other products that you may consider. Yeah. Boom. So now it's saying thank you, and then, hey, here's some other products. So we're presenting it to you, slide of hand, right? Okay, hey, they're sending me a thank you email. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't, you don't, you want to present it so that it's almost instantaneous, right. you know, that they're buying. It's, you know, providing them great customer experience and staying engaged and don't give them time to think, right? Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. Boom. You know, it's right there and it's on the phone. Okay. Just hit the boom. And that's that. And they buy another product. It's 2030 over time. This builds up. And that's yeah, how AI exactly. can help drive growth for your company. Bottom line, right? Uh, and top line, top line growth, sales, bottom line growth, improved uh, efficiencies, even during a pandemic. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, it's also great about things like having artificial intelligence on your side is when things like pandemics, which 
and I'm not, and I generally refuse to get into the uh, conversations about, you know, what did the president know? What did our government know? What did the who know? You know what? They knew what they knew. And they responded based on the best data they had. And when we realized this was actually a pandemic that was going to go global, they, they pivoted the best they can. They're doing the best they can, no matter who it is. I'm going to, you know, you know, give me a name and I will tell you, and I will tell you, I'll go through everything that they did in the months leading up to the pandemic breaking out. And I will find things on anybody you name, things that they should have known and things that they should have done. So you know what? That's a good point. Exactly. Should have known so, and should have done. So exactly. With AI. So where? So yeah. so where I was going with this, and I will cut to the chase, is where can artificial intelligence, if we haven't covered this already, if there's anything yeah. else we need to add, help people deal with predictive situations like that? Because it's awesome, It's great to say, well, yeah, our intelligence had the data about the coronavirus, and then I'll and I'll show you an article. I will show you a tweet. Yeah. I will show you a finding. I will show you a white paper from the health, World Health Organization in January. I have these things bookmarked on my browser yeah. from their website and their Twitter feed that has them saying in January, this was probably going to be a localized event. Yeah, so it's failure to act for, you know, failure to execute. You could have the best data in the world, and I don't care if this was December, January, February, whenever, whoever, whoever's running the world, no one knows. But failure to act can have consequences. And how do you bring that to your business? Failure to act can get you out of business, right? Because if your competitors are doing stuff with AI or other type of technologies, you know, you could be out of business. This sunglass company, and we're talking like, hey, man, who are your competitors? And let's take out the Ray-Bans and Oakley. It's like, hey, we've got 10 within like a, a few state radius from, you know, where we're at. So you as your business, if you want to stay relevant and, and competitive, you've got to research what technologies are out there that can help, you know, drive you. I mean, you could have the best data in the world. You could have the best car in the world. You could have a Ferrari sitting in the garage. But if you're not driving it, Okay, it's just we have cool data sitting in our in our, in our server, but at the end of uh-huh. the day, you've got to be able to execute on the data that you have. Yeah, I think this leads to my final point here, and this is another thing when companies get involved with things like websites and artificial intelligence and they say we want the data, we want the data, we want all the statistics, we need to know everything. Yeah. And uh, we need uh and this is where now we get back to getting a human being, being involved yeah. to create interpretive reports, which is fine. Uh, and, but they don't want to know everything. And when I used to have a web development firm and I used to do website conversion consulting as a primary practice, people would want those statistical reports from their analytics. Fair enough. My very first question would be, what do you plan to use the data for? Exactly. That's, and and that's, and yeah. and and, and, uh, and if they and if they understood exactly what they wanted to use the data for, then they answered my question. So I knew what data to give them because there's so much data available. What do you actually need? But if right. they ga- but if they gave me the lecture of, well, you know, uh, if you're going to be in business, you have to have all the intelligence and all the numbers and know everything about everything that's going on in your business at all times. So I need all of it. And they, you know, my response would be, I said, okay, I'll. I'll, I'll go to your analytics account and I'll pull a bunch of random shit and I'll throw it on a piece of paper. Cause that's, <laughs> cause that's about how valuable that's going to be to you. You're not actually going to use it. You're yeah. repeating the cliche that your mastermind coach told you you're supposed to say, but right. what the, but I just bring this up because artificial intelligence, I believe 
gives us incredible power to help us bifurcate, which means to divide into two separate sections, and also drill down the data in a way where it's actually useful for us in real time in ways that looking at dashboards will never accomplish. Yep. And dashboards are part of the puzzle, but, you know, drilling down and, and but yeah, once you drill down and you get to the weeds, you get to granular, that's only 50% of it. The other 50% is like, hey, let's run campaigns now. Two clicks of your mouse and boom, let, let's execute. No time to waste, no time just with the masks and the other upsell, cross sell. Yeah, you got to do it now. Masks are hot. That's what, but hey, don't just sell masks because that's just 20 bucks. Hey, let's do upsell, cross sell. And that's it. And some companies aren't, don't realize that. And yeah, we're all suffering right now. Whole world's been punched in the gut. But it's those companies that, you know, hey, let's adapt and overcome. And those companies are going to win. Exactly. Well, Jerry, I would love to keep this going for another three hours, but we are at the end of, the, of our time. And I'd like to give you one more minute. Uh, this is for you. We may have some listeners who are leaning in right now saying, yeah, I would like to have a common sense approach to artificial intelligence. And I would like to speak with somebody who gets it from a layman's perspective and understands the power of applying biz big business AI strategies to small and medium-sized businesses. This is the guy I've been looking for. So, yes. Jerry, how do they reach out to you? And yeah, so, what does that look like? Yeah, first and foremost, they can find me on LinkedIn. Jerry, J-E-R-Y, Abiog Standard Insights. I'm the only one. You can find me on LinkedIn. Or, you know, I don't do this often, Adam, but they can reach me on my personal email. And it's Jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, at standardinsights.io. We can set up a conversation or they can go to our website and schedule a demo from there. One of those three ways. Wow. And I'll be sure to get in touch with them. Yeah. Next week, we're, next week, I'm finally revealing Dan Kennedy's email address of which he doesn't have one. That's a, that's oh. a big joke in the online marketing world is, uh, is, uh, you know, the value of Dan Kennedy's email address because he famously doesn't use email. I'm just yeah. pointing out to our listeners in a humorous way, how incredibly valuable it is to have that information to be able to contact you directly. So I really want to express my personal appreciation for your willingness to serve and your eagerness to make a difference for your community market and audience. Thank you so much for that, Jerry. Hey, thanks, Adam. Honored to be a guest. Yep. All right. So for everybody listening, I just want to say I am so appreciative to Jerry Abiog for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education for me, and he helped me to clear up some of my misconceptions and have a framework for how to better understand artificial intelligence, as I trust he's been able to do for everybody listening today. Please be sure to check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.